John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, yet again, we come to you for help. This time asking that you would help us to hear your word, to understand your word. And to believe your word. We are such weak and slow and simple creatures. Give us help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned in announcements, next week is the ordination and installation of new officers. Which is fun. It's fun for me because I've been doing a lot of hard work getting them ready. And to see that work come to fruition is delightful. It's fun because then we have to kind of figure out how the new leadership bodies are going to work. The session's going to be very different. Eric's gone. We're picking up Chad. We'll actually have a diaconate as opposed to a deacon. Um, They will be able to have uh, meetings and to actually be able to turn in minutes. Uh, As it stands now, no, no meetings. One of the things that is on our docket of things to do with the new session is to uh, take in new members. 
And those that have joined the church, you know, we take in everybody under profession of faith. We could do letter of transfer. Sometimes I guess we do, but we, we hear everybody's testimony. Regardless, you've been a believer for, you know, a thousand years. You're really old. That's fine. We don't care. We want to hear it anyways. Uh, PCA ministered or, you know, retired or whatever, transferred. We don't care. We, want, we like hearing everybody's testimony. It's uh, kind of one of the things that we enjoy most about the job. And so we make sure that everyone that comes in tells their testimony. And we love it. It's delightful as, as a pastor or an elder to sit and hear people tell the stories of, I was this way. And then Jesus. And now I'm this way. And they all boil down to that in some form or fashion. I, I, I was this way. And then Jesus. And then now I'm this way. And I love how we get to hear all the different strains of what that looks like. For some, it was, I was this way, and then at 38 years old, the Lord got me. And everything changed. And I remember distinctly what I was like before Jesus. Those people, sometimes they remember distinctly what day it was that they met him. And then everything was different. Some, you've heard my testimony, I don't remember. I have no idea. No idea when I met the Lord. And that's delightful. But instead, I have these moments of sanctification to say, look, I I was struggling with this, and the Lord is so faithful. He's worked in me, and I can say I'm different now. And it's fun because I, I love change. I am a creature that does love change. But all testimonies at some point at their center are a story of change. I was, and now I am. Something happened. We get to the point in the book of John where he has been giving us the portrait of just who Jesus is. That's in essence really all he's been doing. This is who Jesus is. He's now beginning to turn and say, okay, so what does he mean for you? He he has taken it from the realm of theory, so to speak, And put it into the realm of practice, into the the daily life, and put it into when we have to change diapers or unload the dishwasher or vacuum, or some of you will have to rake leaves in the coming weeks. He takes Christ and injects Him into all of our stories. These passages here are explicitly connected to that as Christ begins to gather his disciples to himself. And John constructs these so that as we listen, there is a challenge that is is eking out from the stories to say, how will I listen? How will I respond? Who will I be in light of Christ? And there's kind of three separate interactions here. We're going to look at each interaction and highlight kind of one specific uh, thing from it. What John is doing, and he's, he's introducing us to what believers look like. He starts in verse 1 and begins explaining what Jesus looks like. Well, he's the Word. He was prior to creation. He's the agent of creation. He was with God. He was God. He's rejected. He tells us all about who Christ is and what he looks like. And now he begins to tell us what the church looks like. 
What do Christ's people look like? What do Christians look like? Because they look different, but what do they look like? We're going to start here, verse 35. So it's the next day again. You remember he's been telling us a series of days all in a row. And John the Baptist is standing there and he's standing with two of his own disciples. And you remember they've been following him because he's gone out into the desert for ministry. He's been baptizing them with a repentance for sins. But it's not with a Christian baptism. It's baptism saying, I'm sad for the things I'm doing, but I don't yet have hope for change. I don't, I don't have the spirit within me, so to speak. I don't have the Messiah yet. I'm grieved for my condition, but I don't see the solution to it yet. And he's standing there with two of his disciples. One, it's identified in just a second, is Andrew. The other, I think we'll figure out by the end of the story. And as he's standing there with Andrew and the other, John the Baptist, the three of them, Jesus goes walking by. And you kind of get this kind of great pastoral moment as the prophet is standing there and the, the two guys that are with him, he just kind of looks at him, nudges him, you know, gives him a little elbow. Hey, you see that guy? Behold, that, that's, that right there, that's Jesus. That's the Lamb of God. That's the, that's the one who was sent to be the sin bearer. That's the one who is the purity of God. That is the one that everything revolves around. being reminded that he doesn't look like the paintings that we have. Those were invented in the 50s and 60s. White guy, immaculate hair. That's not it. Poor carpenter's boy. He would not have been uh, one that would have been the most uh, elegant, delightful to look at. We know that from Isaiah. He would have had scars. Have you ever seen a a carpenter that didn't have scars? I never have. Um, that always leaves a mark somewhere on the body. He would have been um, dressed as a poor man would have been dressed. Would have been uh, kind of an odd contrast of this guy walking past and saying, oh, by the way, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one who is the purity of God. This is the one who is the sin bearer of God. And it would have been a, a, a tremendous kind of incongruity. And if you were new to the conversation, if you had missed some of the previous interactions, what's the first thing that you're going to do if you're standing there with John? We've been following you, and you've been telling us that someone more important is going to come, and now here you are saying this is the Lamb of God, and though I'm Jewish, I know what that kind of means. I still kind of really don't know what that means. I should probably go find out who that guy is. And so Andrew and the other man follow Jesus. Jesus turns around, hey guys, what are you doing? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they respond with, Rabbi, I'm going to put this in postmodern language. Can we grab a cup of coffee? That's in essence what they kind of ask. They they say, uh, where are you staying which would have been another way to say, can we have a private conversation? Can we have a conversation that's not like here in front of everybody? Because I kind of need to sort out some stuff in my life, and I really need to talk with you. Can we get a cup of coffee? And he says, sure. Come on, let's go sit down. Let's go have a conversation. 
And this is where you begin to see the first kind of element that John highlights of what it means to be a believer. It means to be a saint. Is it, it means to be in relationship with Christ. That's going to be the first kind of defining attribute is one that is in relationship with Christ. So they go and they sit with him. I love this. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. They go, they meet with Jesus and the guy telling the story remembers exactly where they were, what day it was and what time it was. Now, for those of you that were converted later in life, you most likely have that exact same kind of moment, don't you? You can remember all the details. You can remember all of the exact pieces and all of the, the things that people were wearing and where you were sitting and all the story of when I came to know the Lord because you're old enough to remember it. I, I don't. I don't have that. And there was John. The author of the book is one of the two guys. He's telling us of his own conversion, his own testimony of how he came to know the Lord Jesus. They were following him. They said, can we go get a cup of coffee? Christ says, come on, let's go sit where I'm staying. Let's go have a private conversation. And he begins to record all the details of this is when my relationship with Christ started. This is when I came to know him, when I came to speak with him and he with me. When I came to know Him and He know me, when I came to love Him and He loved me, because He has done all of this first. This is going to be a theme that John carries throughout the book. That the essence of Christianity is knowing and loving the Lord Jesus. The very essence of what it means to be a believer is to sit and fellowship with the King of Kings. It's not going to be, John's going to show, it's not going to be uh, a summary of doctrine, though he gives us a tremendous amount of doctrine, more than most. It's not going to be a, a list of good deeds that Christians do. Though he does have a lot about righteous actions of the saints. The summary of what Christianity looks like is one whom is in relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so John and Andrew sit. I love it. It includes exact time. They come to know Jesus. And what's the immediate thing? You get, you get clued in in 40 and 41. They get converted kind of right there in that moment. So much so that Andrew is like, I gotta go talk about this to somebody. I can't just hold this in. I can't just sit here and go, well, I found him. Okay, cool. I, I, this has to overflow somewhere. And so he goes and finds his brother and begins to kind of flap his gums. Look, we got him. We found him. It's here. We got him. <clears throat> He's been transformed. Now, many of us, this is foundational to our understanding of the Scriptures. When we talk about Christianity, we, we talk about relationship with Christ. We assume that. It is part of the background of our conversation. But the challenge I might gently and lovingly give is how many of us are maybe kind of quick to forget that. How many of us, as we have grown and matured in our faith, 
have forgotten that in order to have a relationship, you have to have conversation. You have to spend time together. You have to walk together. You have to talk together. You have to be together. The standard illustration of a marriage. What kind of marriage is it? If you're like, well, I love my wife. I don't ever see her. I don't ever talk to her. I don't spend any time with her. I don't actually like her that much. Uh, but I say that I'm happily married. I would suggest that you're not actually happily married. But honestly, if we were going to be brutally honest about our own spirituality, if we're going to just be really, just radically honest, how many of us does that illustration fit our spirituality far more often than we would like to admit? Well, I mean, I'm happily married. I see her once a week. I mean, Sunday morning, we hang out every Sunday morning. No other time. But every Sunday morning. In fact, actually, I love her so much, we only have conversations in public, never in private. Again, I, I really have to beg the question, do you really love her so much if you can't talk to her in private, only in public? See, John is introducing this to, to challenge us to think through, okay, if this is one of these key elements that's going to flow throughout the book, to be a believer means to be in relationship with the Lord. What does our relationship look like? Well, the story doesn't stop there. Andrew, again, freaks out, loses his mind. He's excited, as well he should be. He goes and finds his brother, and he begins with, I love it, kind of no delicacy here. We found Messiah. Oh, by the way, this thing that all of the scriptures have been pointing to, we found him. We've got him. You need to come meet him. And so Simon goes. And he's brought to Jesus And this is, I think, probably my favorite interchange out of all of these. 42, just pay attention to it. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So, you are Simon, the son of John. Identifier. Okay, then that's fine. You shall be called Cephas. And that's the end of the conversation. (laughs) It's just done. You're like... It had to have been unbelievably fun to watch. Because we know Peter, as we find out from the rest of the Gospels, not exactly a timid soul. Right? He maybe kind of runs his mouth a little bit more than we might like. And as he arrives to meet Jesus, Jesus says, Oh, so you're this guy? I'm not using that name. I'm calling you this. Okay. that's the way it's going to be. And I I love that John just presents it as fact that it happened. There's no discussion. There's no debate. There's, there's no kind of, well, I like it. Can I have a different nickname? I would prefer a different one. It's done. Peter, it's over. The conversation is finished. And John is introducing a second theme, one that's again, going to flow throughout the entirety of the book. And it's this, that God's people have their identity fixed in Christ. And they're submissive before that. It's going to show up in chapters 10 and 15 and 17 and 20. All throughout the rest of this book. A key foundational principle is that God's people have their identities. They're rooted in Christ. They're fixed in Christ. They're set in Christ. And they're submissive before that. Again, we know Peter. Peter's not exactly one to kind of take things lying down, so to speak. 
He's, he's not quiet. He runs his mouth all the time, but John's presenting it so that we understand what the, the issue at stake is, is Christ is issuing an identifying title. He's saying, you are this man. You're mine. I've named you. I've placed my mark upon you. I'm going to call you Peter. Everybody else for the rest of time is as well. And your job is to submit. It's not to fight back. It's not to go, well, I don't like the name Peter. I'd prefer to have a different name. In fact, I like the name Simon. That's a good one to start with. It's to submit before him. And this, too, I think is going to become increasingly an issue as our culture continues to deteriorate in America. Where uh, Christianity as an identity is going to become more and more of a thing. In the South, one of the, the challenges for evangelism has been historically, we've been so very blessed, is that everybody thinks they're a Christian. I remember the first time in my professional ministry as a pastor, I remember the first person I talked to that had never been in a church before. I remember that person. I'd never met them. I'm like, you exist in the wild. I didn't know you people actually existed. I thought everybody in the South had been to church at some point because our Southern, the, the cultural identity here is everybody's a Christian and everybody goes to a church. And I put both of those in quotes because they don't mean anything at all. But I think as our culture continues to deteriorate, it's going to become increasingly important to understand who are God's people. They are those that have their identity rooted in Christ. Not in a political party over the next six weeks or years following. Not in you know, a, a subgroup of our nationality, not in a, a college football team, not, not in anything else. Our, our identity is and always will be in Christ. That's why that term Christian is such a beautiful term. It started as a, a derogatory insult uh, towards the church, but you couldn't find a better term. Who, who am I? I am a Christian. I am, I am Christ. I belong to him. He defines me. He is my name. He is my life. He is my substance. He is everything that I am. John's going to have this identity kind of flowing through. Paul picks this up, same kind of concept with the term in Christ. This is a little two-word kind of clause all throughout his writings. In Christ, I am this. In Christ, I have that. In Christ, the same kind of concept. I'm grounded in him. It doesn't stop there, though. Next day continues. We've merged the stories together. Jesus decides to go to Galilee. And he finds Philip. Says to him, follow me. And Philip's like, okay. I love that. <laughs> okay. No discussion again. Well, follow me. All right. That sounds like a great idea. In fact, actually, I'm going to follow you. Let me bring a buddy with me. So he goes, gets Nathaniel, most likely Bartholomew, and says, uh, by the way, we got him. That one that all the Jews have been waiting for, for as long as anybody can remember. We found the one that Moses wrote of, the prophets wrote of. We found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the way this is originally written, it's that last word is Nazareth. So it would have been kind of like, we found him. Moses writes of him. The law, it's the prophets, it's the son of Joseph, of Jesus of Nazareth. And it would have kind of trailed off. Nazareth would have, Nazareth would have not been an incredibly popular place at the time. It would have been, if you remember the old, uh, do you remember the Pace Picante salsa commercials? 
right? Where they're, they're all sitting around the fire, the cowboys, and they're eating their salsa. And the guy looks on the back and he's like, it's from New York City. And they have a you know, hissy fit that salsa would be made in New York City. It's that same kind of idea. Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It can't, we can't have a Messiah from Nazareth. No, nothing is no, nothing respectable, nothing honorable, nothing delightful. There, nothing would have come out of Nazareth. And so Philip says, come on. Let's put it to the test. Come and see. Come and see. Come taste. See the Lord is good. Just come meet Jesus. And see what he says in verse 47. He heads that way. And these 47 through 51 is a, a reminder, kind of a throwback to Jacob. He's going to contrast and uh, compare Nathaniel to Jacob, the patriarch. And as he's walking up, Jesus looks at him and says, Behold, look, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. There's no deceit. This is a guy who's honest, which at this time would have been a bit of a rare thing. I mean, he's straightforward. He's already slammed Nazareth. (laughs) He's already kind of given you an idea of who he is. He is a guy who is, you get what you pay for. What he says is what he means, and what he means is what he says. And I, I love the response. Nathaniel's talking to a guy who he's just been told is the Messiah. The Messiah, he's walking up to the Messiah, and the Messiah says, Here's an honest guy. I like this guy. He's honest. And instead of going, Thank you, sir, for the compliment, I appreciate it, he responds with, You don't know me. That was a great response. How in the world do you know me? Who, who are you to think that you know me? You don't know me. And Jesus looks back at him and says, Before Philip called you, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. Probably in his own private reading, private devotion. Saying, look, you think no one was watching you. I was watching you. Which would have clued him in automatically. This is something special about this guy. This this man is unique, this one. And his response is, um, I'm going to lovingly say over the top, his faith is so strong, so quick. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, and you are the King of Israel. Hmm, No one's mentioned that one yet. What a title. What an understanding. What what belief kind of instantaneously he's willing to ascribe deity. He's willing to ascribe kingship, both of which are absolutely correct. But it's so quick and so strong. Now, certainly he vacillates on it as he goes. His faith doesn't say that strong forever, but he's right on the money. And I think the third thing that you kind of see, John's going to pick up and he's going to push throughout the book. You know, what do believers look like? Well, they're people who are in a relationship with Christ. Uh, they're people who have their identity in Christ and submit before it. Uh, there are people that confess Christ and see him as beautiful. Nathaniel's, I'm not going to say surly. But he's a bit gruff in his interaction with Christ. Hey, here's an honest fellow. Instead of saying, thank you, sir, for a compliment. Who are you? You don't know me. And then his, his kind of response to the next statement is so overwhelmingly profound as he's praising the Lord for who he sees him to be. He sees Christ and he confesses him. And he confesses him not just in content, but in beauty. In loveliness, in worship. 
And you see, this is actually kind of the main theme of these passages. John and Andrew meet Jesus. They go and say, oh, we found the Messiah. Philip meets Jesus. Oh, we found the Messiah. And here Nathaniel most clearly, we found the Son of God Himself. We found the King of Israel. This poor carpenter who's nothing to look at. This one is divinity. This is the King of Israel. You know, last week, I, well, most of you, I guess many, I, I ran a disc golf tournament where we bring a bunch of Christian guys in and we play disc golf. And uh, the whole goal of it is to have Christian fellowship. And one of the guys that I was playing with, I love asking guys their testimony while we play. Not distracting at all. And I asked him, no, it's very distracting. It's a lot of fun, though. I asked a guy, I said, how did you come to know the Lord? And he was telling me he'd grown up in the church all his life. Uh, didn't remember days apart from Jesus. But talking about his before and after kind of moment, it was fun. I, I can't remember the exact way he worded it. I wish I had recorded it. He said, I, I kind of always grew up assuming my faith was kind of normal. And then I got to college, and I got into RUF, and I had a PCA minister start preaching. And suddenly, Christ was beautiful. And that's when everything changed. And I was like... That'll preach right there, man. That, that was a fantastic story. I mean, he was explaining his testimony. For him, the, the whole understanding of what it meant to submit to Christ, to know the Lord, to be a believer, was suddenly Christ was beautiful. And I would suggest that's maybe kind of the heart of what we need to be thinking about. The demons know who he is. They know his might. They know his power. They know much of his character. They've had plenty of time to study it. But they do not find him lovely. They do not find him glorious and beautiful. They know, they believe, but they do not worship at his feet. Again, I suggest maybe for some of us, if you've been a believer a long time, if you've been a believer for a short time, this is probably not even on your radar yet, but if you've, not, if you've been a believer for a long time, I would suggest maybe this is one of those things you might want to reconsider. Spend a little bit of time evaluating, pondering yourself. How lovely do I find Christ to be? How lovely is He to me? It's actually one of those things they do in you know, marriage counseling. When a couple in trouble comes in, you can sit down and ask them, start asking questions. You ask the husband, how lovely do you find your wife? Ask them to tell the story of how they met. Ask them to talk about their wedding. And you can see a lot about how lovely he finds his wife to be by how he talks about the past. How lovely do we find our Savior to be? Or have we kind of been like, nah, it's okay. He's kind of room temperature. And gotten boring. And gotten stale. And well, why is that a big deal? Well, the story doesn't stop there. Jesus is going to make kind of one final profound truth here in verse 50. Uh, Jesus answers him. I think there's kind of a chuckle involved in this. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believed? I mean, I literally could have been standing on the other side of the fig tree. But okay, that's it for you. You believe. You have the most profound, one of the most profound testimonies of uh, Christ's character, certainly this early on in his ministry. Uh, it's jaw-dropping what Nathaniel says, but okay, fine. You think that's fancy. You think it's amazing that I can see you where you can't be seen. Just wait. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And again, this is a throwback to Jacob. Remember Jacob's ladder, he has the vision where the angels are ascending and descending. And the whole point of that ladder was there was someone coming who would cross the chasm between heaven and earth. There would be someone coming who would bridge the gap between God and man. And here Christ is explicitly saying to him, you think it was special that I could see you when you couldn't be seen. Just wait and you're going to watch heaven and earth be crossed in me. He's explicitly telling him of his divine nature. He's explicitly telling him of his role as the Messiah. He is saying he is the one that bridges heaven and earth. He is the one in which through which God and man may be reconciled. He is the ladder between heaven and earth. He's greater than any of these miracles. He is the great and mighty God. And again, John calling us as we think through all of these things, of thinking through what is my life like as a Christian? What's my faith like as a Christian? How robust is my faith? How healthy is my faith? How am I doing? You'll notice part of what I'm challenging you to do is a preacher as your pastor is to take a spiritual inventory spend 10 minutes just thinking about your soul i mean probably haven't done that in a while we're americans we're busy we have like 18 billion things happening at once we don't really like to think we have invented amazing things called televisions and radios to keep us internet now to keep us from thinking we don't want to think but take 10 minutes and just stop and think about the condition of your heart Think about the condition of your faith. Think about how beautiful you find Jesus. Because if we're honest, I would suggest most of us, being classic Americans, find him lovely for the things he gives us and not lovely for who he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do confess our sin to you. We do not think highly enough of you as we ought. And we ask for your mercy. Help us to see Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.